With it being the time of year that you're gathering the information to file your tax returns, we want to make sure you don't miss some of the most overlooked tax deductions. Joining us today is Sandra Block, Senior Associate Editor at Kiplinger's Personal Finance, to share some of the most overlooked tax deductions that are missed by Americans today. Welcome, Sandra. Thank you for having me. You've got a great topic today in talking about overlooked tax deductions and tax opportunities that people miss out on all the time. And being that people are going to be getting their stuff together to file their taxes for 2013 here shortly, I think it's a good time to remind people some of these deductions that they might be missing. And one that we see all the time is the American Opportunity Tax Credit. Share with our audience what that's all about. This is a really valuable credit for any family that has a child in college, or in this case had a child in college in 2013. And unfortunately, because these education-related tax credits are so complicated, an awful lot of people overlook them. Basically, the American Opportunity Tax Credit provides a credit for up to $2,500 of college tuition and related expenses paid during the year. And note that I say credit. That's a lot more valuable than a deduction because that means it's a dollar-for-dollar reduction in your tax bill. The full credit is available to individuals whose modified gross income is 160000 or less for married couples or 80000 or less for singles. It phases out somewhat above those levels. But as I said, if you had a child in college last year, you should have no trouble coming up with enough expenses to qualify for this credit. And that basically means you reduce your tax bill by $2,500. It's a really valuable thing for people who are struggling to meet these rising college costs. Hey, Sandra, maybe address also, what if that $2,500 credit completely eliminates my tax liability? Do I still get additional value of that credit? Like, is it refundable or non-refundable? No, it's not refundable. Basically, you would get no tax bill, which would be nice, or you get a bigger refund if you over-withheld last year. But it's not a refundable tax credit. I appreciate clarifying that because there are, of course, refundable tax credits, and it's hard for, I think, the average person to kind of keep that straight. So I appreciate you covering that. Let's build on this education tone and let's discuss the impact of the lifetime learning credit. This is one that we often recommend for people who are going back to school. It's available for virtually any educational cost at virtually any school. It's a little more complicated. It's calculated as 20% of up to $10,000 of qualified expenses, which works out to $2,000 a year. Again, this is a credit. The income limits are a little lower. They're 127000 if you're married or 63000 if you're single. You can't claim both this credit and the American Opportunity Credit, but where I think the lifetime learning credit really comes into play is to offset graduate student costs, or as I said, if you're an older person going back to school to get a degree. This is one thing to look at that could cut your costs. Can you kind of clarify, if I can only benefit from the lifetime learning credit, is there a limitation of the type of school or education that I can seek for that benefit? I don't think so. As long as it's an accredited, for example, if you went to community college, I think it's available for that. There probably is some cutoff in terms of legitimate accredited schools, but it doesn't have to be your traditional four-year college where you go full-time. And that, as I said, that's why I think it's a particularly valuable credit for people who are going to school part-time, going to graduate school while they're working or something like that. Okay, so it's probably not for the golfers who want to improve their game. No, (laughs) I would would mind that. (laughs) (laughs) I, I hear you, but I appreciate that clarification. Well, let's look at another one. It's amazing to me 
how many people miss out on the spousal IRA. They still think that if a spouse doesn't work, they're not able to contribute or they're only able to contribute that $250. And I think those rules were changed over 10 years ago, weren't they? Yes, and the other reason that this is overlooked is a lot of people probably have in the back of their minds that if they are working and are covered by a 401k or other employer-provided plan, they probably don't qualify to deduct contributions to an IRA, and that's true. But what they may not realize is if their spouse isn't working, they qualify to deduct an IRA, even if you, the working spouse, are covered by a 401k or something like that. And this could really make a big dent in your tax bill. That's one advantage. And the other advantage is that people who step out of the workforce to take care of children or older parents often fall way behind on retirement savings. And this is one way for them to sort of keep up. If you have a spouse with little or no earned income, to make an IRA contribution of up to $5,500 or $6,500 if they're 50 or older. And it's tax deductible as long as your combined income doesn't exceed $173,000 on a joint return. That's a pretty high bar. That means if you're working and you make $150,000 and your spouse isn't, your spouse still qualifies to make a deductible contribution to an IRA. As I said, that's a really big benefit. And it's important for people to understand that with other IRAs, the spouse can make the contribution for 2013 up until April 15, 2014. So there's still time to do this and reduce your 2013 tax bill. There's not very many things that people can do after December 31st to reduce their 2013 tax bill. This is one of them. Another thing, too, that I think sometimes people miss the opportunity on, I know we're talking about deductions, but people think if they can't deduct it, they can't contribute. And there's other reasons to contribute to non-deductible IRAs. You might have an opportunity to convert them to Roths down the road. There's creditor protection for IRAs. Depending on your state, it might vary from state to state. But there's benefits of having money in an IRA, tax benefits as well as creditor protection that you may want to look at even if you can't deduct it. That's right. And one thing that we're seeing people do more and more, of course, you can contribute to a Roth too, and you can do that up until April 15, 2014. That won't give you a tax break, but could give you big tax breaks later on. And as you pointed out, what more and more people are doing now that there's no income limits on converting to a Roth is they'll make a contribution to a non-deductible IRA and then turn around and convert that to a Roth. And that's a strategy I don't think a lot of people think about. So No, they don't. And it's catching on. The one thing we warn people about is it looks really clean and simple, but if you have some money in a deductible IRA, perhaps from a 401k that you rolled over a long time ago, you can't cherry pick the amount that you want to convert. You'll be taxed basically on a prorated basis. So you have to be careful of that. If you have no money, if you've never had a deductible IRA, you have no money sitting around in a rollover or something like that, you could conceivably put money in a deductible IRA and then turn around and convert it. You wouldn't owe any taxes on it because it's after tax. And then it would have the opportunity to continue to grow tax-free until you retire. I'm just thinking as we're covering some of this stuff, I'm sure people who are listening are going, God, this sounds complicated. Well, the bottom line is don't go it alone. There's no reason to have to. And the reason these are most overlooked deductions that we're talking about today is because people don't get help. (laughs) That's exactly right. And I think a lot of middle-income people in particular don't take advantage. High-income people tend to have an accountant on hand. Middle-income people don't. They go on their own. And I have to say, you know, I use tech software. It's pretty good. But often, that is why a lot of times people overlook these tax breaks and deductions, because they're complicated. They don't realize they're out there. 
sometimes I painfully think around April 14th, how many people are hovered over the dining room table trying to scramble and figure things out. And quite honestly, sometimes to avoid maybe a $100 or $200 preparation fee by actually working with an expert. So that's all yeah, an option, yeah. too. We appreciate that. Hey, one other thing that we should talk about relative to education deductions is what about the impact of student loan interest that's paid by mom and dad? Yeah, this is one we put on our list because it surprised me when I found out that this was deductible. Student loan interest is deductible up to a certain amount. Generally, with most deductions, you can only claim the deduction on interest if you're legally required to repay the debt. But in the case of student loans, the adults pay back a child's student loans. The IRS treats the money as if it was given to the child who paid the debt. So the child can deduct up to $2,500 of student loan interest, even if it was paid by their parents. And they don't have to itemize to use this money-saving deduction. It's one of the few that you can claim even if you're not itemizing, which is probably true of most recent graduates. They don't have enough deductions to itemize. So you can't double-dip here. Mom and Dad can't claim the interest deduction, but this is a way for the student to get a break on their taxes. And I think it's important to know this because so many recent graduates are really having a lot of financial problems. To get an additional tax break certainly won't hurt. On the other end of the spectrum, you talk about parents helping their kids out. That sandwich generation sometimes is helping their parents out. And I know this isn't on your list, but it reminded me of the number of clients where the kids are doing a lot to help mom and dad out. They might even be living in their household, and the parents aren't making enough money to even pay taxes, but they're providing over 50% of the support, and a lot of times we see them missing the itemized deductions and exemptions that they might have available for that parent that they're taking care of. So sometimes you can miss it on the other end. Yeah, and that's a really good point and something a lot of our readers ask about is at what point can you claim a parent as a dependent? As you pointed out, if you're providing more than 50% of their support and they meet certain income requirements, you can claim them as a dependent. And even if they don't, those income requirements are kind of hard to meet if the parent even has a small pension or some investments. But what a lot of people don't understand is you still may qualify to deduct if you're paying their nursing home expenses for medical expenses, and those expenses combined with yours exceed 10% of your AGI, then you can deduct them. So I think that's another area where it really would behoove you to talk to a professional because there are tax breaks for adults who are taking care of their parents that they may overlook. That makes total sense. And again, here I'm thinking, as a person reaches out for advice, they need to understand if you're going to work with a tax professional, there's a reason they're asking you lots of questions because they're looking for these kinds of what might seem unique types of opportunities for tax write-offs. I know that the tax firm that we're familiar with and a lot of our clients use, they get an organizer sent to them every fall, and it asks a ton of questions. And people are like, why do they need to know all this? Because they can do a better job. It's that simple. Well, that's right. And even if you have the best tax professional in the world or you're a whiz at tax software, if you don't have the records to provide the information they need, you're not going to be able to take advantage of these. And I think that's why an organizer is really helpful because you need to keep track of these college expenses. You need to keep track of these medical costs in order to get the full deduction that you're eligible for and defend yourself if the IRS has any questions about it. As we're talking, this is reminding me of a story of a client and you talk about the middle income people that a lot of times are do-it-yourselfers or afraid to reach out. And I'm just thinking of a client a few years back And there's another tax benefit with those IRAs, and that's the saver's credit. In this Mm -hmm. time of high unemployment, he had gotten laid off. He had put money into his 401k, 
His wife had started a new business. She didn't have any taxable earnings. So he was in a situation where with his contributions that he made, his adjusted gross income was $500 over the benchmark to get from a 20% saver's credit to a 50% saver's credit. Wow. So by putting an additional $500 in IRA, because he said to me, Jim, I didn't want to talk to you because we just don't have money to put away this year. And I said, well, let's just take a look at it. I said, well, if you put on your tax return that you're going to put $500 in a deductible IRA, you'll get a $750 refund. It's amazing how a small difference like that, just an extra dollar or two in one column or another can make such a difference. And for this gentleman, it certainly was worth it for him to get the advice because it made a huge difference. I mean, basically, the IRS paid to fund his retirement with the tax benefits that are available. Yeah, that's a really good point. We have that on our list of tax breaks for the middle class because the savers credit very often is overlooked. And as you said, it's a huge, if you can make it, the problem is that the income limits that are required for that, a lot of people just feel like they don't have any money to save for retirement. But then when you look back into how much you get back, the amount that you have to put in is actually pretty small. So this definitely one that very often is overlooked, but the people who qualify for it tend not to get help. That's true. And sometimes you just have to understand when we say, let us crunch the numbers, there's a reason for that. Because if you just assume, you know, where that's going to lead us. So you got to take the time sometimes and actually do a projected tax return. Of course, if you're an early bird, you could actually get that refund before you even have to make the contribution. That's right. Mm -hmm. So it's important to make sure that you give yourself time to do proper planning. Sandra, let's take a short break, and when we come back, let's continue on talking about some of these very important but most overlooked tax deductions. Please stay tuned. And now a personal story from the 2010 Life Foundation Spokesperson for Life Insurance Awareness Month, actress Leslie Bibb, whose recent credits include roles in Iron Man 2, Confessions of a Shopaholic, and Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Leslie was just three years old when her dad died. At that time, Leslie had no idea what life insurance was and how it benefited her mother. Today, Leslie realizes the enormous impact it had on her life. Let's hear her story. Hi, I'm Leslie Bibb. Photos are my memories. My parents together dancing to their favorite song and celebrating with friends. Young and in love, they never suspected that their lives together would be cut short. Everything changed when my mother received the awful call that there had been an accident and my father hadn't survived. All of a sudden, the task of raising four girls and keeping our family together fell on her shoulders. But my mom's burden was lessened by my dad's thoughtfulness. His life insurance policy enabled our family to pick up and carry on. The love we show while we are alive is why we live. The love we show after we are gone allows life to continue on. My dad loved us enough to expect the unexpected. Life insurance was his legacy of love to us. No one should be left grieving and in need. Take care of your loved ones by thinking ahead to the unthinkable. Learn more at lifehappens.org, a public service message from the Nonprofit Life Foundation. Welcome back as we continue a conversation today with Sandra Block, who's the Senior Associate Editor at Kiplinger's Personal Finance. And we've been talking about just a phenomenal topic today because, as you mentioned prior to the break, average middle America just doesn't sometimes take advantage of all the tax opportunities that are out there, especially if they're going it alone. So let's kind of get back to our list of missed or overlooked tax deductions. Just before the break, we were talking about unemployment and job seekers. What's available to those who are actually job hunting across the country from a tax deduction standpoint? 
if you itemize, you can deduct job hunting costs as a miscellaneous expense. And the list of qualifying expenses are pretty long. And what's important to understand is that you can claim these expenses even if you didn't get the job. So we hear so many sad stories about people who spend months and months applying and sending out hundreds of resumes and don't get a job, but they still may have some expenses that they can deduct. Now, you can only deduct to the extent that your total miscellaneous expenses exceed 2% of your AGI. But if you're out of work, your AGI may not be that high, so the bar could be more reachable. Qualified expenses include transportation costs, you drive someplace, parking and tolls, food and lodging expenses if you have to travel, cab fares, employment agency fees, cost of printing resumes, business cards, postage, and advertising. So if you are looking for a job, keep records of all of those costs because there's a very good chance that you may be able to deduct those expenses. Something that's right along that same line is moving expenses. Isn't there some deductions available yes, for that and that's too? A really, moving expenses is a really valuable deduction because it's one of the few that you don't have to itemize the claim. Now, you can't deduct your moving expenses if you just move across town to take a job. You have to move at least 50 miles and meet some other standards. But again, the list of qualified expenses is quite long, and that would include, obviously, packing up and moving all your stuff, the cost of getting from point A to point B, perhaps staying in a hotel, putting up your family in a hotel, all kinds of things. And so I would really urge anyone who moved last year or is planning to move this year for a job to put together a file folder and just start keeping track of all those expenses because we all know how expensive moving is. And these days, with the job market being what it is, you can't count on your employer to cover those costs. They used to, but I think a lot of employers don't anymore. So I really think that this is a tax break that people need to pay attention to and could benefit from. There's a lot of deductions, I think, that are overlooked when you come to those miscellaneous deductions that you were talking about earlier with job seekers. If they get a union job, aren't union dues deductible? And there's a lot of different expenses. that, That falls into the miscellaneous category. So definitely that can be one. Professional association fees, things like that you can add on. So look at the list of miscellaneous items. Again, you want to keep track of as many as you can so you can get yourself over the hump of the 2% AGI. I think the big mistake many Americans make is they look at all this, oh man, it's just so complicated. And they default to like the 1040 easy because it's easy to get done. But Boy, as we're talking about this, I mean, we're not talking just $10 or $15 it might save you. It could be hundreds or even thousands. It's worth it to maybe get that advice or have someone look over it that knows what they're doing. Have it checked from time to time because if you miss these over the last three years, one thing is you can go back and amend your return. So if we talked about something that maybe you did two years ago, maybe you go back and check, it could mean a refund for you. That's right. And again, I've seen some statistics on the percentage of Americans who just don't bother to itemize and claim the standard deduction when, in fact, itemizing would save them money. So, yeah, it's a little more work, but the payoff can really be significant. Now, let's talk about one that seems to be scary for taxpayers who are working from their home. Let's talk about the home office deduction. Yeah, I'm really, I hate to say I'm excited about this, but it's kind of a big deal. A lot of self-employed people who work from home and have a dedicated space in their home from which they work have not claimed the home office deduction in the past because it's widely believed to be a huge red flag for an audit. So they don't take advantage of this potentially money-saving deduction. Just last year, the IRS came out with a new formula that basically allows you to use the size of your home office 
and then deduct $5 per square foot up to a max of 300 square feet or $1,500. If you use this formula, you still have to follow the old rules of having a dedicated office space, but it means that you're not having to sit down and figure out what percentage of all your costs account for your home office. Since the IRS has put out this formula, I think a lot of individuals and their tax preparers will feel more comfortable claiming this deduction because it almost sounds like kind of a safe harbor for people. You won't have to fill out a 43-line form listing your actual expenses. And that's a $1,500 deduction that is really valuable for people who work from home in particular need all the deductions that they can get because unlike salaried people, they don't have their employers kicking in for health care and other things. So I'm hoping that I'd like to really get the word out on this to self-employed people because I think it's a valuable tax deduction that they've not taken in the past that they really should feel comfortable about taking in the future. Yeah, I think that's something that we run into all the time where people are just afraid to take that deduction. And I think it's been about seven or eight years where the IRS has kind of changed their stance on it that, hey, this is legitimate. As long as people keep good records, that's the key. You definitely can take those deductions. And again, in these times of high unemployment, you see a lot of people start businesses from their home. Being that they've never been in business before, they're somewhat intimidated by thinking they're doing something that's not quite right. But the code clearly provides for these deductions. So if you started a business three years ago, you can go back and amend the last three years returns, and it could be a significant number that you could see coming back. That's right. I should point out that the streamlined method is only available starting in 2013. So if you were going to go back beyond that, you still have to use, I think, probably use the old method of actual expenses. But I think this is a signal, as you said, that this is a legitimate deduction. People should not be afraid to take it. It's not available if you're employed and just working from home unless your employer requires you to work from home. But I think the trend now, we're seeing so many people, either by choice or because they don't have any other job, working for themselves. And I think if you're working for themselves, any deduction you can claim is very valuable, and you should take it. One final thing we want to talk about, and it's not on your list here, but when you talk about all these deductions, a lot of times we've coined it as being negative taxable income, where your deductions exceed what you need to zero out your taxes. And especially today with people being between jobs, high unemployment, or people in retirement, a lot of times they look at well, we got all these deductions, we don't need to really do anything, we'll just take the standard deduction and move on because we didn't owe anything. Well, sometimes they're missing a tremendous opportunity. We talked earlier about things like Roth conversions or pulling money out of tax-deferred accounts or maybe repositioning some money that would be subject to capital gains or selling a property or stocks that might be subject to capital gains. If you have an opportunity where you have all these deductions, there may be some tax planning you can do that'll benefit you even further going forward. What have you seen? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. More and more for people at all levels of the income scale, so many things are pegged to your adjusted gross income. So if you're in a situation where perhaps your AGI income has dropped, there are opportunities. As you said, even if you've sort of zeroed out your taxes, you may want to, for example, if you sell some securities, if you're in the 15% tax bracket, you qualify for 0% capital gains on long-term securities. Well, that's something definitely. Then you could sell some securities, raise some money, and not pay any taxes at all. So I think that certainly it's worth looking at not just your potential deductions, but what's your income and how can you maximize that income this particular year to take advantage of certain tax breaks that may disappear as your income increases. 
Tony was talking about that organizer that gets sent out, and part of that organizer, has there been any major changes in either your expenses, your income? All those things can trigger new opportunities. I know a lot of people get to the point where their deductions are phased out, and they just kind of default to, well, just keep doing it the way I've always been doing it. And a change in those circumstances or a change in the tax law can make a big difference. And as you mentioned, this home office deduction, this brand new thing where you don't have to keep too many records on it, you can default to the square footage so you don't have to keep all the percentage of expenses might be an easier way for someone who's starting a business to easily take a deduction without having all the extra work that had been involved in the past. That's right. And as I said, I think this one I'm particularly interested in because people just haven't been claiming it at all. Yeah, at least they don't have anything to fear anymore. So there's at least a standardized process, and that should hopefully provide people comfort. Well, listen, we have covered a chock full of ideas today, just lots of different opportunities for people to take advantage of. And I think the core theme here is don't overlook opportunities. This isn't tax evasion. This is just doing what's right and fair for you to pay your fair share. But, of course, don't necessarily go it alone. Don't feel like you shouldn't seek advice because just in some of the things we talked about today could provide much more savings than the cost of even having a professional tax preparer or software program. So we greatly appreciate, Sandra, your discussion today and your knowledge. You've been doing this for over 20 years and writing on this subject, so we greatly appreciate your input. If we're looking for more tax ideas, we'll ring your phone again in the future. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us this week. And tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your Real Wealth Advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to a friend or family member, just click the Forward to a Friend button.